We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. website rotowire.com which is packed with a ton of content this time of year most of which centers around the nfl uh but still uh, a decent amount of nba content as well as we near the end of the season i'm nick whalen joined as always by alex barutha alex we are recording late tuesday night about 10:50 p.m central time uh, game four of the nba finals just wrapped up minutes ago a 102 96 win for the los angeles lakers you and I both watched this game from start to finish. This was one of the uglier games uh, that I've watched in recent memory. Uh, a lot of turnovers, especially in the first half for the Lakers, something that to me was a little surprising based on how many they committed uh, in game three. You kind of figured they would turn uh, turn that around a little bit. That was not the case. Um, but a, a fun fourth quarter. This was the closest game throughout uh, of the entire series. It felt like neither team really until late in the fourth quarter led by more than five or seven points. Uh, and it was just kind of mini run after mini run. But uh, 
Uh, we now sit with uh, the first multi-day break uh, in this finals coming up. Uh, game five will be on Friday night with the Lakers up 3-1. Um, it doesn't feel quite as convincing as as maybe I thought it would, given the injury situation. Uh, but what, what were your first takeaways from watching game four tonight? Well, no, it, it, it really wasn't a convincing win for the Lakers. I mean, the beginning of the game at least the first quarter and maybe even into the second quarter felt really frantic to me in terms of like turnovers, bad passes. Like it's kind of a weird, um, like both teams kind of understood the stakes now without a bio back um, and kind of had the jitters. And I, I mean, the, I mean, I felt like the teams played really evenly and there were points where I looked up at the game and was surprised to see the Lakers still up. Um, I think they took a lead in the third quarter and, and never gave it back. But in terms of, like, you can go up and down, you know, like the box score, like the field goal percentage, three-point percentage, turnovers, rebounds, almost identical um, for both teams. And, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a convincing win by the Lakers. And, again, it's like it, it feels like a game they, they easily could have basically given away. Yeah, I... I was taking notes throughout the game and at a couple points uh, as early as the uh, four minute mark in the first quarter, I wrote, don't feel like the Lakers are going to win this game. And I, I wrote it a few <laughs> more times throughout the note because I, you know, I was on VEASAN doing some video stuff earlier today. Um, and I, I talked at length about how I was convinced that we were going to see a huge bounce back from LeBron, that he never has two games like that in a row. We were going to see a monster bounce back from Davis and at the end of the night, we we kind of did, I guess. I mean, LeBron finished with 28, 12, and 8. Davis, 22, 9, and 4. Um, a lot of what Davis did defensively, though, won't show up in the box score. I mean, he was he was huge on the defensive end. Uh, ended up being a team best plus 17. That was by far the highest uh, on the Lakers. But I, I didn't think it was a great game for LeBron. Um, it's kind of the second straight game where you, where you look at the box score and he almost had a triple-double. Um, you know, the shooting was fine, 8 of 16, hit a couple big threes in the second half did get to the line 12 times, although a lot of those came late in the game. Um, but for the second straight night, I, I thought LeBron really didn't look super comfortable handling the ball. Uh, even he had that one fadeaway jumper. I think it was early in the fourth quarter on Jimmy Butler. And you could see like, he, he knew he had to shoot it. There was like five seconds left on the shot clock. And he, he kind of palms the ball in one hand and wipes his hand on his Jersey as if he like, wasn't able to get a good grip on it. And I, I thought that kind of encapsulated how he played where you know, some of the turnovers that he had were, you know, he, he had an ISO on Duncan Robinson and just kind of accelerated and forgot the ball. And, you know, it went the other way for a layup. Like he, he just wasn't wasn't crisp as a ball handler, wasn't crisp as a passer, uh, didn't didn't seem super confident, you know, getting to the hole. It was a lot of, you know, he'd call for a screen from Anthony Davis and then would just kind of back out of it and throw the ball to KCP with three seconds left on the shot clock and say, make a play. So I, I still don't feel like LeBron is, is in that same groove that he was uh, certainly at times in the Denver series for most of the Houston series. Uh, and even in, in game two and in, in, in the finals when he had 33, nine and nine. So, you know, I, I think if he has another one of those games in him in game five, the Lakers probably win pretty easily, but I, for the first time really all year, um, I, I think LeBron, I wouldn't say, I think it's too early to say his age has caught up to him, but I think he just, he just looks really tired. Yeah, I feel the same way. It kind of feels like he's still coasting a lot of the times, right? And we're right. not used to seeing LeBron coast in the NBA Finals. And again, yeah, maybe, I mean, it, there are points when you watch the game and he, you know, he still has that gear. There was one point, I think it was the fourth quarter, he split two defenders. He just 
ran full speed, went up left-handed, body Jay Crowder, got the foul, um, where he just looks like his old self, but I think he does a lot more coasting than, than we're right. used to. And that makes sense with um, when you have Anthony Davis there and you can afford to do that sort of a thing. But I agree. I mean, he had, you know, his, his passing wasn't great. The eight assists, but had six turnovers. They're just, again, it wasn't a lot of like, you know, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, pick and roll. You know, I know the, the Heat do a pretty good job of, of shutting that down. But right. um, again, I feel like this for the Lakers is the second game in a row where they just like, it, it feels like they haven't had any energy. And like, it, like compare that to the first two games, the first two games, I, I mean, especially game one, um, I really felt like they were just, you know, like I, I said before, just bullying the heat, like just right. taking them inside, pushing them around. And ever since then, it's just like they haven't they haven't felt like that team. And I know Miami changed their defense, but it just feels like L.A. won't even they aren't even trying that anymore. Right. Yeah, it's I think it's easy for us to to sit and watch and say it's a lack of effort. And, and certainly for LeBron specifically at times, there was a, a lack of effort, you know, early on in the game, even, you know, uh, I think he threw a pass away and, and was clearly frustrated with whoever he thought was supposed to catch it and like didn't even run back for a potential chase down block, you know, which we've seen from him night in and night out. You know, you see that in mid November, you see that in late March in the regular season. It just, it was certainly not finals level intensity. And I, I thought that was kind of strange. And I, I just kept trying to figure out like, what exactly is is kind of holding the Lakers back right now? And I I think it starts with LeBron. You know, you don't want to be too critical, but I, I he's kind of back to doing the like you know extreme overreaction anytime something goes wrong, whether it's a call that he disagrees with. And and I thought Jeff Van Gundy and, and Mark Jackson were doing a, a good job of kind of getting on LeBron. I think it was right before the half, but saying basically like shut up and play at this point. You know, like it seemed like he's kind of driving to the hole, expecting a foul, and then if he finishes it, great. Whereas we're used to seeing LeBron go not really care who's in front of him, finish through contact. And if you get the foul, great. Um, you know, he, he's just kind of, he's just been bothered, I guess. And, you know, when there's a defensive breakdown, you know, he's he's yelling at Kuzma, he's yelling at Davis, he's yelling at Caruso. And it, it seemed for a while that we were kind of past that with LeBron, um, you know, especially after, it, it seemed like after he had won in 2016, he had kind of just moved past that. But there seems to be a new like level of pressure, I, I guess that that this team feels like they're playing under, despite being in in full control in the series. Um, it, it just doesn't feel like the Lakers are playing with the level of confidence that a team that's you know up two one and was up two zero in this series against a team that's without Goran Dragic and has a Bam Adebayo that's at maybe seventy or eighty percent should ultimately have. Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, maybe he's just looking across and seeing Jimmy Butler basically put up the same numbers as him and doing, you know, kind of in, in similar fashion, just driving to the lane, doing I mean, great passing, great rebounding. And then just kind of seeing his supporting cast and how locked in all those guys are. And then he kind of looks around and he's like, OK, well, I got <laughs> I got Kuzma. I got a Morris brother on my team. Um, and it's like, obviously, he has a D, but. And we should, I mean, we should talk about Adebayo, who played really well, I thought. I mean, he yeah. had some, he, early on, he came out with a ton of energy, like, was was playing great. He made a few mistakes, but I think those were just kind of, like, nerves um, and maybe still a little sore. But I thought he had a really good game and was obviously integral in, like, you know, slowing down Anthony Davis, which, again, you know, I, I mean, I saw, unfortunately, I, I was at my not unfortunately that I was at my parents this weekend, but my dad was watching first take because he loves it. Uh, 
and I know Shannon Sharp and uh, Skip were getting into a debate about whether or not uh, how like how much out of bio should play because of the because <laughs> of the spacing Olenek provides. Um, what uh, what was former NFL tight end Shannon Sharp's take on what what Bam Adebayo should do? He thought that it could be a problem when Bam Adebayo comes back because he thought the spacing was good from Kelly Olenek and that allowed Jimmy Butler to the drive into the lane, which is a surprising angle. I didn't think Shannon I, Sharp would take that angle. I actually don't hate that take. I don't hate that take. I, I kind of felt the same way. I, I, I thought that Adebayo would look worse than he did. Like, I, I thought it would be clear right away that, like, he's not at 100%. I thought he was pretty close. You know, like you said, he played, I think he played about as well as you could expect given the injury circumstances. Uh, but I, I definitely thought there was a chance that he could end up hurting them. Not that, you know, you're expecting Olenek to come in and hit three threes and go for 20 points or whatever he had in game three again. But um, they, they did defend well and they did spread the floor well without Adebayo. But it, it really wasn't an issue at all tonight. Yeah. I mean, but the, again, the Heat, you know, the Heat are kind of like they, they're deep. And we've talked about how deep they are compared to L.A. But they, they're quickly running out of guys that they can trust, it feels like. Like they cannot trust Kendrick Nunn, who has been awful. Kelly Olenek tonight went one for four. He was good before, but I don't think he can. He and Adebayo can coexist. Um, Iguodala is like a complete shell of himself. Yeah. And no one else even plays other than like the other guys, you know, Hero Robinson and Crowder. Um, so they're they're running out of guys that they can trust. And I think next game, we I, I mean, they're going to have to play none. Like it's gonna, I think it's gonna be a lot of like 45 minute performances for that that starting lineup. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and something that I think has not been talked about all that much is, you know, I, I was someone too who really believed that at, at full strength, you know, this Heat lineup would, you know, the, the the depth, I guess, of the Heat from spots three through seven would overpower, you know, significantly those spots for the Lakers and. I mean, Hero has certainly outplayed, you know, whoever you want to match him up against, whether it's Caruso or, or Kuzma. You know, he hasn't been super efficient, but he, he had a good game tonight and, and has played pretty well throughout the series. Duncan Robinson uh, had 17 points um, in a couple of really tough threes in this game. He's been fine. But, you know, when you look at like Jake Crowder versus Danny Green, like that's kind of been a wash. Um, you know, Kelly Olenek tonight versus Dwight Howard, that was kind of a wash. Uh, Iguodala, like you said, has been... He's been bad, um, you know, still still a really valuable piece defensively. Um, but to have a guy out there for 20 minutes, especially when Jimmy Butler is not shooting threes, he ended up taking three of those tonight. But a few of them were in desperation situations like he's not looking to shoot threes at all. And when you have Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo and Andre Iguodala on the court together, which they did at times like that, that really, really limits you offensively, even if the other two guys are, are Robinson and Hero, who are both great shooters. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, the, the heat's depth has, has shown up to some degree, but even though I think they, that depth has outplayed the Lakers depth, the discrepancy has not been nearly as large as I thought it would be. No. And Robinson has two, had two games in a row and what hero is doing, like you said, like wasn't extremely efficient, but like he's doing the most that you could possibly expect out of someone with like, <laughs> you know, his age, his draft position. Like it's pretty unprecedented what he's doing in the NBA Finals and in the pre in the playoffs in general, yeah. as a 20 year old who just like wasn't a number three pick or something like that. Um, so I mean, yeah, I, I draft picks aside, I mean, I, I think I think when he had that 37 point game against Boston, it raised his profile to a degree where you know I, I think people who follow the league obviously knew that 
he had taken things to a new level in the bubble. I think he's he scored in double figures in every single game in the bubble. Like he's been a different guy. But I think you know you can even tell with like the way that they're like promoting him now and doing interviews now. Like he, I, I think that game really kind of boosted his his spotlight. And I, I wouldn't say it's unfair to expect him um, to play really well in these finals because he's he's a good enough player that that expectation is realistic. But yeah, like you said, I mean, at the end of the day, he's a 20 year old rookie who probably never even thought that one, his team would be, you know, this deep into the playoffs. And if they were, you'd, if you would have told me that the heat were in the finals in back in October, last October, I guess, you know, I would probably assume that Tyler hero was in like the Kendrick Nunn role where maybe he gave you some good minutes in the regular season, but you know, come playoff time, he's, he's maybe like a DNP every other night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, if I don't know if man, the the Goran Dragic injury is really tough for them because if they would yeah. have had Goran tonight, they would have won. Um, and it, you know, then I mean, the series would be really close. Then I think um, it's just tough because again, like I I picked the Lakers in five even before Dragic got hurt, but I think if he was completely healthy the whole time and Adebayo was completely healthy the whole time, the Lakers would actually be in trouble. It's just that. You know, the Dragic's replacement just is not in Kendrick Nunn is just he can't. Right. He's just not he's not ready for this. Yeah, I, I meant to ask you about that prediction. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this series is viewed. And ultimately, I think, uh, you know, whether the Lakers if the Lakers close it out convincingly in game five, um, I, I think maybe that puts some of this to, to bed. But like if game five turns out like this and it's kind of a slog and the Lakers don't look all that great, but they they pull out the win, um, you know, behind James and Davis. Like this, this game didn't feel like a dominant performance by any means by the Lakers, like like Game One did. And like you said, I think there's going to be some of that belief that, you know, not only would this be a closer series if Dragic was in, but like I, I'm with you. I think that this is this is definitely two-two, if not three-one in in favor of the other the other way. Um, you know, based on how Game One had gone. Um, you know, once Dragic went out and once Adebayo went out is when the Lakers really, you know, put the hammer down in, in that one. But I, I, I don't, I don't think the Lakers, I guess have played well enough for me to say that they would definitively have won no matter what, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, this isn't going to be an asterisk title, uh, if the Lakers do close it out, but there will certainly be a lot of people who for many years bring up, well, you know, if they had Dragic, things would have been different. And I, I don't think that they're necessarily wrong. I agree. I agree. I mean, if the Lakers, you know, if they kind of meander into like a victory, even if it's a five game, uh, five, you know, five game victory and they, and they win the finals. I don't think when we're talking about next season that people are going to look at the Lakers as like definitive favorites if they really couldn't like, um, you know, dominate the heat in this situation. Right. Like, I think there will still be a lot of questions in terms of like who, you know, uh, should, there should be legitimate challengers to the Lakers because even. Oh, yeah. I mean, you think about the Nuggets even, you know, if you gave the Nuggets a second shot against the Lakers, you know, who knows how that could have gone? Like, so. Yeah, I I think if, if the series kind of plays out as we're implying that it might, it would be a very fitting end, I guess, to the to the bubble, which like it's it's been really hard for me to to get in the zone watching these games like you would in normal finals. You know, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm locked in. I'm, I'm going to watch every game. I make a point to watch every minute of every game, uh, of course, but it is as well as everything has gone, you know, that they're obviously facing some major restrictions to me. It, it hasn't really felt like, you know, the drama of a, of a normal NBA finals. And I, I feel like it's kind of like finally starting to seep over 
to the players where like I, I, the lack of focus from from LeBron and, and even Davis, you know, in game three, I, I don't think you see that if there are fans in the stands and it's, you know, you're you're locked in game to game and, you know, the, the, the stakes are, are as high as they normally are. Um, you know, I, I think a lot is on the line for like LeBron personally, but my guess is for for some players, it's it's probably pretty hard to reach that like pantheon mindset that you'd normally be in for an NBA finals. That's a good point. Yeah, I think I think it's tough when because if you're especially if you're if you're if it's a home game mm-hmm. and you're kind of losing focus or, you know, something happens, I feel like seeing the crowd and hearing the crowd react and realizing like you're playing at home against your fans right, or, uh, in front of your fans. I mean, I think that that kind of like refocuses you, it kind of snaps you back into it mm-hmm. um, after a bad play. And it's just not the same when it's like basically an empty gym. You make a bad pass and it's just like dead silent. Yeah. And you're looking around and it's just like on one side, there's a big scoreboard with <laughs> your video, you on it yeah. on the video. feed, And then the other side, it's like your coaches. Um, it's a, yeah, you're right. It's a completely different environment. And I think it is hard for a lot of, a lot of players. And it does, you know, I don't, I don't think about it a ton, like as I'm watching the game, unless there's an insane play um, where I just wish there was some sort of crowd reaction. Right. Um, but yeah, when I when I kind of step back and think about like how it really is a detriment to not see these teams, you know, go back and forth and especially like the the energy the Miami crowd could get, especially because mm-hmm. I mean, this is a the Miami crowd, especially, you know, a lot of those people might still feel burned that LeBron left. And I think yeah. there'd be a different kind of energy in that in that building. The Rotowire NBA show is brought to you by Prediction Strike. It's a fantasy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard your friends say, I've had stock in that player since day one? Well, Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes his rookie year. You knew this would happen. Now, that's a complete reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. This is basically exactly how I felt about OJ Mayo from day one. Still only 32, by the way. Tore it up in China last season. Just something to keep an eye on. Maybe an opportunity to buy low on OJ Mayo on Prediction Strike. To get started, simply visit predictionstrike.com and create an account. Then deposit funds to buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players, just like you would with your real stock account. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time as long as the player is not currently playing in a game. You can get started with Prediction Strike today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with our code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 off your first deposit of at least $20. That's code ROTOWIRE, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, for an additional 10 bucks with your first deposit of at least $20. Yeah, from a viewership perspective, it it's been great. It's, you know, when, when Mike Breen is on the call, it feels like a big game. You know, that hasn't been a problem at all. I, and I've been saying this since the seeding games, I really wish the league would have done more experimenting with the audio. I I think there's certainly more that they could do to make it feel, even if it's more for the fans than the players, like the stakes are higher. You know, there's, there's still, you know, kind of a, an uncomfortable delay after a big play. Um, You know, there's, the decibels aren't nearly as loud as they should be. You know, when, when Duncan Robinson banks in a huge three pointer to keep Miami within, I think three or four points late in the game, like that, that's something that would be an eruptive play, you know, in, in terms of the crowd. And th- those plays I feel like are the ones that, 
are kind of lost. Um, you know, I think the final the final minute or two of a of a close game in the fourth quarter of the finals is still going to feel super important. I thought tonight's felt that way. Um, but you know, some of those big plays that that are so memorable, partially because you you remember how the crowd sounded or you know the roar of the crowd at the time, um, is kind of lost. And I always think it's going to be interesting. Like in in 20 years, when somebody's watching like a you know ABC puts together a montage of like LeBron's best moments in the finals. It's just, you know, it's going to jump from all these memorable finals, you know, 2015, 2016, 2018, all this. And our, then there's just going to be like an empty gym out of nowhere <laughs> with no fans at all. And yeah. it's going to be it's going to be kind of hard, I think, for the league to like contextualize this uh, for the future for people who weren't living through it. Yeah, that will be tough. I mean, I mean, some of it is with the announcers, right? Like Mike Breen being there does help. But Mike Breen never has to scream over the crowd. Right. You know, and there's like that part of that in every sport. You hear that in football or, you know, even even baseball, where it's like the announcers are like yelling and you can barely hear them on your television because the crowd is going so crazy. Like that's kind of what you miss is because a lot of, you know, a lot of watching sports is taking like audio cues from commentators. Um, And so like you, you miss that. It's like the moment doesn't it doesn't feel as big, obviously, when there's no crowd and the you know, the, the analysts don't have to react the same way. So knowing what we know now, Lakers are up 3-1. Uh, again, it, not the most convincing 3-1, uh, especially in the context of, of having, you know, watched those first two games where it looked like things were just going to be a wrap in four games. Um, do you get the feeling that the Lakers counted their, their chickens before they hatched or that Miami is the side that deserves more of the credit here for, you know, one withstanding injuries to Adebayo and, and uh, Goran Dragic. And even if they don't win the series, you know, putting out a, a much more respectable effort, I think than most teams would, if they lost guys that are that important. Um, I mean, which, which has it been to you, I guess, have the Lakers just kind of taken their foot off the gas or, or have the heat, um, you know, kind of figured out what, what LA wants to do on both ends. Uh you know, I don't obviously want to take credit away from Miami, but to me, it, it has felt like the Lakers have kind of taken their foot off the gas. And like, I don't even know what happened to Anthony Davis the game prior. Um, that was just, he like disappeared. Like, it was, it was bizarre. Um, so, and like I mentioned before, like game one, they came out like so intense. It's like, I can't, I couldn't get that out of my mind, like how, how aggressive they were and how, you know, they were just pushing people around without fouling. And just dominating with size, which is how they won during the regular season. And now we're at this point in the series, and the past couple games have felt like you know they're just trying to shoot a ton of threes, and they they aren't putting Dwight in the game anymore. And some of that's obviously Dwight's fault, but he got benched. He didn't play in the second half. Markeith Morris started, and they're kind of going small now, um, which I didn't think they'd do. So like I think I think they kind of. Kind of, t- I mean, either they took their foot off the gas or they changed their game plan to the point where it doesn't allow them to play that way anymore. And I don't, again, I don't, I don't like it. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good way to put it. And something that I've been critical of uh, with the Lakers all season is they, they always seem content to be the team that adjusts to what the opponent is doing and doesn't force the opponent to adjust to them. And I, I understand that, you know, Davis at the five has, has been there their kind of keystone lineup, you know, when they, when they need, when they feel like they need a win or when they need a a big stretch, um, that's what they go to. But when it felt like they were dominating the series in game one and game two, I I thought the biggest reason was 
how they dominated the glass. And, you know, part of that, maybe you can chalk up to, to Miami being a little bit shell-shocked early on. You know, some of those rebounds were, were a product of not boxing out as much as they were Dwight and Davis, you know, working the glass. But uh, even though the Lakers continue to win the rebounding battle, it has not been nearly the same disparity as it was in those first two games when it felt like anytime they missed a shot, you know, there was like a 60% chance they were just going to get their own rebound and not only do that, but in a lot of cases be right there to just lay it in or dunk it. And those plays seem to be completely gone. And, you know, when you, when you take Dwight Howard off the floor, then you, you kind of lose some of that opportunity. Um, you know, LeBron's at this point in his career, not going to be crashing the boards Davis, you know, especially if he has one or two fouls early, uh, isn't going to be doing that either. So I would kind of like them to to try to play their style. And, you know, like you said, with the three-pointers, they've taken 47, 42, and then tonight 39 threes in these last three games. I mean, those are their three highest totals in any playoff game throughout this entire run. And, you know, when they were at their absolute best cruising against Houston, you know, they were taking 25, 26 threes. Uh, you know, against Denver, they had, they had a win where they took 24 threes. Like, they they've never been that team that's going to outshoot you and they've kind of been able to get by, you know, the percentages haven't been great, but they've had some timely makes from guys like KCP and even in game three, when they lost, you know, Kuzma and, and Markeith Morris combined for, for I think 38 points off the bench, but you're kind of playing a dangerous game when you're a bad shooting team that is going to start launching 45 threes a game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And again, cause I don't even really feel like the, the heat schemed them out of it. Um, I just feel like it was a decision that was that was made by the coaching staff, and so like I don't, I don't know. I mean, we're we're in agreement that I feel like they should they should play big, and you know, because they're not a dominant they're not a dominant three point shooting team. They can get a lot. They can get open threes because LeBron and Anthony Davis are a team, and they're good passers, and they can draw attention. But there's not any there's not any real knockdown shooters on the team. No, not at all. I mean, at one point in the fourth quarter, they were 0 of nine from three. Uh, I think that was until KCP hit that corner three uh, that, that finally, I wouldn't say put the game away, but at, at least put them up uh, semi comfortably down the stretch. I mean, they, they've, they've hit, it seems like every single game they've hit like just enough threes to, to hang in. And they've, they've come at very key moments. Um, but again, yeah, they don't, they don't have anyone that you have to treat like Duncan Robinson, who, you know, it, it's, it, I thought KCP was awesome on him tonight. Uh, he had a few really tough looks, but like the, the attention that you have to pay to somebody who you know, objectively is probably the fifth best or fifth most talented offensive player on the floor, usually for Miami, just because he has that one skill. I mean, it, the entire defense has to, you know, bend to accommodate for that. And you see it where, you know, KCP has to expend so much energy for a full 24 seconds, you know, every single time to make sure that there's not one little second where he has a, an open look. And like you said, the Lakers don't have a guy like that. And you, know, you you said you know, it, it's a coaching decision. It very well could be. To me, it it seems more like a LeBron and Davis decision where they're not really looking to attack to the degree that as someone watching and thinking like, OK, that's LeBron James. He has Duncan Robinson on him. Why is he just kind of <laughs> dribbling out and all of a sudden there's four seconds on the clock and he's going to take a step back three? You know, like, and the same thing with Davis, where he, he continually seems to catch it in kind of that short corner area, like 15, 16 feet from the basket. And he loves going baseline, but you know the, the he Andre Iguodala is a guy who's been on him or switched onto him a lot in those situations. Does a great job of forcing him to the baseline, and all of a sudden Dave, Davis has to tightrope, and you know has a kind of an impossible angle going to the basket. Like obviously it's much much easier said than done, but I I do feel like Davis and and LeBron over these last two games have each passed up a lot of opportunities to 
go one on one and, and maybe not have an easy look, but at, at least generate fouls because the Lakers had five free throw attempts going into the fourth quarter of this game. Yeah, I mean they well, I mean they're the stars of the team. They need to they have to set the tone, right? Like they those guys will right. look for them for that sort of thing. Like Anthony Davis only having four free throws should not happen. He, he needs to get to the line more than that. Um, and two he, of those I mean, were on that play where he got poked in the eye. It wasn't even a shooting. Yeah. <laughs> and he, I mean, you know, he's a guy who had, can be kind of forced into bad, like turnaround jumpers. And it's, I think it's a habit that like he has to break. Um, and the heat are going to, you know, play good enough defense to, to make him feel like he has to take those. But I think, yeah, I think it's up to LeBron and AD to, to set that tone. Cause you know, if they, if they're not driving aggressive and, and, everything like that like when they kick it out to kcp or caruso or kuzma or whoever's out there like a lot of those guys are they're just gonna feel like oh i have like i have to take the three i'm sort of open they don't even really consider the the assist yes yeah lebron lebron needs the assist he'll kill me if i pump they can drive um some unbelievable assist hunting by lebron at the end of these last two games (laughs) well you know davis lost the mvp last game that he was did. it. Like he had no chance, no chance now. Oh, um, he did. So I, I think he totally did. I know you're half kidding, but I, I really. Think I'm not. Did. I'm not. I said I was when I was with my parents. I said to my dad, I was like, the people who bet LeBron for MVP are about to spend all that yeah. money already. I wrote that um, in my my best bets column today. Like if you know if I was in the in the prop section. Like if you have not, if you're thinking about putting money on Finals MVP, do it now because after tonight, that number is going to balloon even more. Like Davis. We've talked about this before. I mean, Davis had to basically like, you know, outperform LeBron statistically by like 30% in every category. And through two games, like I would say he'd done that, but he was in the conversation. As soon as you have a game like he had in game three, when LeBron's yeah. on your team, like that, that's enough to completely knock you out of the race. I, th- I think he was still like plus 200 today. Like that was ludicrous. Not even a consideration anymore. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the Lakers had some good plays when they, when those guys I mentioned, they, they caught the ball and instead of automatically firing especially early in the shot clock, you know, like 14 seconds plus they pump fake and drive and they get to the rim. Cause like Caruso's obviously athletic to do stuff around the room. KCP is pretty good in transition. So when he gets ahead of steam, he's fine. And you know, obviously Kuzma can do stuff when he gets around the rim, although he'll pump fake drive and shoot a 13 footer. But I think, I think they need to do more of that. And I think that kind of just starts with LeBron and that they're just gonna They should, you know, mirror LeBron and AD. This was not a not a great Caruso game, uh, an okay Kuzma game, I thought, um, but it was a very good Kentavious Caldwell Pope game, uh, right down to you know hitting that corner three and then making a really tough layup in one of those situations that we talked about where LeBron just kind of dribbled out the clock, didn't have a plan, and then just said, here, take it, with four seconds left to KCP, and instead of launching a three, he smartly just kind of sprinted right past Duncan Robinson uh, and laid that ball up. He was great for them. Uh, I thought... KCP was easily the Lakers' third best player um, on a night when Rondo, you know, his his one basket was a big one, a layup late in the game. But before that, had some very ill-advised looks from three, uh, was 0 of 6 from the field overall. Um, and he continues to do, like, a move that that you and I both love in, in rec league. Instead of actually playing defense, just allowing the guy to get by him and then going for the reach around and usually committing a foul. <laughs> like, he, he's good for, like, two to three of those per game at this point. Going for the poke and then also yelling help. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I actually felt bad for Kuzma at times in this game. And you know, I I very rarely show sympathy to Kyle Kuzma, but 
the the lack of accountability from from LeBron especially and and Rondo like anytime that somebody is remotely near Kyle Kuzma and scores like LeBron was slamming the ball down immediately shouting at Kuzma like I, I at some points you could just see him like just sulking on the bench like I know for a fact I'm gonna end up on the Timberwolves next year yeah he is gonna have to call Kevin Love like I'm sure maybe Kevin Love's already called Kuzma and just <laughs> tried to you know calmly explain to him what it's like yeah, it's like, yeah. I, I I saw you had the look man. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to get a ring, though, all right? Then it'll all be over. You can escape the nightmare. All right, um, so wrapping up this, where where do you see this going in Game 5? You know, what What is your read on the series? Um, I, I feel like if any team can kind of come back from what's a pretty demoralizing loss, I think, for Miami, it is the Heat. Um, but at the same time, at some point, you would have to imagine LeBron and Davis become a little bit more locked in, and that would probably be for Game 5. Yes, I wouldn't be shocked if, um, you know, if Miami uh, gets another win, if the Lakers keep playing how they've been playing. But I would like to think, <laughs> I would like to think they do more of what I hope they do um, in terms of driving, playing aggressive, you know, mm-hmm. the role guys driving. So I'm going to, I'm just going to assume it's Lakers in five and that's that. And they're the champions. But again, you know, I, I will not be surprised either if, if Miami pulls out another win somewhere. Is, is there an adjustment for the Lakers other than just be better? It, it feels like they played the same game tonight that they did in game three in a lot of ways. Like stylistically, it, it felt pretty similar. A lot of the turnovers were similar. A lot of the shots were similar. No, to me, it's just, it's just, I mean, not even be better is just be, be more assertive, be more aggressive, try to get to the rim more, like make getting to the rim the number one priority. Yes. And then work from there. Um, I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and and kind of putting a bow on this, this would be if this game was coming back to Staples for Game Five, it it would be Lakers by a million, right? But I think this is maybe one advantage for Miami, where you know, and that's part of the reason I think we've seen, you know, quite a few comebacks in in these series throughout the uh, throughout the playoffs is you know that being the being the higher seeded team and being up three one is not really the same advantage as it normally is getting that home Game Five. No, and you have, like, no motivation to, like, win on your home floor or anything right. like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think if this was going back to Staples, no one in their right mind would, you know, I mean, people would just do it to do it. But I wouldn't bet against the Lakers there, you know, to what win do, that game. How do you even celebrate a title right now? You know, like, when the Cavs won in 2016, I remember because they won in Oakland and then stopped in Vegas on the way back to Cleveland. <laughs> like, that's not an option. You know, like... I don't even know what you're able to do at this point. I, I think baseball has banned like even locker room celebrations with champagne, you know, that you normally see. I assume the NBA would, would be fairly careful about that. Like, I don't even know, like what's the motivation? Like you win and then it's like, just go back to your hotel room, pack up and leave in the morning. You can't. Yeah. Have I want to, yeah. I want to know how quickly NBA wants, wants them out, you know, like how quickly are you just packing up and leaving? Is do you get like a a twenty four out? Do the Lakers just just get the place to themselves for a week? You know, they just ship in a bunch of champagne and yeah, whatever else. I I don't know. Yeah, it's it's gonna be weird because they probably will just just go back home, <laughs> just <laughs> celebrate with their families. I don't know. Yeah, I I think it'd be super underwhelming. There's got to be some sort of motivational angle here where like haven't we heard over and over where it's like all right only only bring one suit you know you have to win or you have nothing <laughs> else to wear it's like we're packing up everything like we're getting we're getting on a plane leaving disney world immediately after this game whether we win or lose so it's like you, you better win or we're forfeiting 
yeah, LeBron's like, Kuzma, I threw all of your clothes in the pool. Uh, <laughs> that's, our, that's our motivation. We are not playing another game here. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I, I think the Lakers close it out. I, I think it's a good sign that they, it feels like they haven't played that well in two straight games. You know, and Miami at the same time, you know, maybe we, we kind of keep saying like, you know, there, maybe there's a game where Duncan Robinson hits eight threes. But the way that, that the Lakers are playing defense, you know, that's kind of the one thing they do deserve credit for, even though the offense has been clunky. The defense was awesome again tonight. Um, and if they continue that, I, I think they probably win game five. You and I have not touched on Doc Rivers to the Philadelphia 76ers. We recorded on uh, Thursday of last week and talked pretty extensively about all the coaching openings and about Doc Rivers, uh, who you know, I think at that point was like 40 hours removed from uh, being let go by the Clippers. And essentially, as soon as right. we posted that episode, uh, the, the Philadelphia 76ers officially announced that Doc Rivers is the new coach. For me, this is a very much like, all right, you know, let's wait and see how it goes. I, I don't have any strong feelings. Like right now, I don't feel like, okay, now the Sixers are going to win the title. You know, like, I, I guess I don't, I, I don't feel like this is something that automatically you know, boost my confidence uh, in the Sixers, maybe as much as, as it should. I mean, we'll see. I guess if anything, it'll kind of give us something to measure Brett Brown against. Yeah, I think that's I think that's good because I this is about as neutral of a coach hire as you can do while also getting like a really good coach. Yeah, like there's no I don't really view Doc Rivers as just like a playbook specialist. Like if they had hired D'Antoni, then it would be like, OK, well, they're just waiting to try to ship Joel and beat off or whatever. Um, you know, and, and play go a di- different direction with the roster, which they still still a very good chance they need to go a different direction with the roster. Not sure how possible that is with, I mean, Doc being reunited with Horford, maybe that's something. Um, I for for Philly's sake, I hope it's something. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's I feel good about it. I mean, if you're Philly and you know you get rid of Brett Brown and. You know, a lot of teams don't have the opportunity to hire a coach as good as Doc Rivers right off the bat without having to, like, fire some, like, second coach they hired in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I I mean, ultimately, this is good for them. I just, I don't I don't have any, like, you know, I'm not going to stand here and say, well, Philly's a top three team in the East now, or they're going to win the East next year, or they're going to win the finals next year. I don't, I don't think it particularly, like, changes mm-hmm. everything for them. I think you made a good point in saying that you know, Doc Rivers is widely widely recognized as a great coach, but doesn't have an ultra unique system. You know, like you said with D'Antoni, it's like if you bring Mike D'Antoni in, your entire your entire team is going to change. Your roster is going to change to fit that style. Um, you know, someone like Ben Simmons, you know, playing in in a Houston type of system is is super appealing. With Doc, you know, you're kind of I think you're bringing Doc in for more stability and people management than you are strategy. And I, I think Philly kind of needs both right now. And to me, the, the strategy usually supersedes um, the personnel management. We've seen plenty of good teams that, you know, maybe not everybody gets along. So I, I guess to me, long term, we'll see how it goes. But I, I would guess that this ends up playing out kind of similarly to the Clippers situation, where it, it feels like he's kind of back in that that same type of thing, right? Where you have like a, a really talented core of top heavy talent on a roster that just at the end of the day, it doesn't really fit all that well. And they wear the same exact color uniforms. Oh, so nothing, yeah. nothing's really different at all. Yeah. Um, that's actually a really good point. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is a, it is a very similar situation. 
um, because both teams had the talent to be number one in their conference. Yeah, with some like role pieces that may not fit right. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, I still, I still overall have faith in Philly, but like after seeing just like how, I mean, how badly they struggled on the road, how underwhelming they were. I know they missed Ben Simmons, you know, in the playoffs, but like that was just really disheartening. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, I, I, I banged the drum for Philly for a long time, but like I, 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 I have faith and I don't also at the yeah. same time. It's something, something has to change. And I'm not sure this is it. Yeah, they're they're certainly in in the mix to become the new Rockets in the East. Of like, yeah. all right, how many times do we have to to fall for this trick, you know, until they actually show us something? Um, you know, last week we we hit on this a little bit, but I wanted to dive more into uh, Jared Weiss of the of the Athletic last week um, reported that uh, both Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner uh, potentially want out of Indiana. Uh, Oladipo, I, I'm not sure about Turner. Oladipo himself has refuted that claim uh, he has one more year on his contract before becoming unrestricted next summer I, you know i believe the player sure but reports like this especially one that is you know published in the athletic uh, by by a renowned reporter uh doesn't really come out of nowhere and i think it's been kind of common knowledge that oladipo hasn't been thrilled with with how things have gone in indiana and one thing that's been tossed around is sending gordon hayward uh, who's in a similarly problematic situation in boston sending him home to Indiana, bringing Oladipo to Boston, which of those two would you rather have if you're either side? Uh, I want Oladipo in both cases. Yeah. Um, just the two-way ability. He has pretty similar ability on offense. I, I'm not going to say definitively that Gordon Hayward's a better offensive player. I think it's really close. You know, Gordon Hayward's maybe a little more versatile because he's a forward, and he's probably a better pure shooter. But it's the difference isn't that big. But the gap on defense is, you know, I mean, it's it, it's a lot. And so, you know, if Boston can run out a lineup next year where, you know, their pieces are, you know, Kemba's kind of a negative on defense, but you have Oladipo, Tatum, and Jalen Brown on the wings. That's, I mean, that's one that's of the an best. Absurd top you know, four. An absurd top four. And an absurd defensive wing. You know, on the wing, they're insane defensively. And if right. they found a way to also get Miles Turner, who is a great shot blocker and would also be a floor spacer, he's just the super version of of Daniel Tice. I mean, that would you know that would be perfect. And like it, you know, it, I guess for Indiana, it sort of makes sense. You know, it, it would at least be a narrative. It would be a storyline that that they could sell. And Gorgon Hayward can put up good numbers as a number one or a number two guy. Um, you know, I'm sure he would go there and he could average 25, you know, five and five or whatever. So it wouldn't yeah, it would be, be a, a very sad 25, five and five, but he, I think he could do it. Yeah. It wouldn't be a complete dud for, for Indiana. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're both in such tough spots. Uh, Oladipo and Hayward, um, you know, Hayward's a little older. Uh, they both had, kind of the same struggles coming back from an injury um, you know, where it's one week, it seems like they're fully back. And then the next week, it seems like they never recovered in the first place. I I'm with you. I would for sure rather have Oladipo, uh, especially like you said, if, if he's your at probably at times, your fourth offensive option, especially if he never quite gets back to where he was a couple years ago, you're in extremely good shape in the Eastern conference. 
that almost wouldn't seem fair to me in some ways. Um, but at the same time, like if Gordon Hayward was playing like Gordon Hayward, you know, the Celtics would be a completely different team as well. Um, the other side of this coin with, with Oladipo is there's a report in the New York Post on Tuesday that the Knicks are very interested in trading for either Chris Paul, which has been common knowledge, or Oladipo. So I think Paul would be the priority. Um, but but settling for Oladipo, uh, which would basically be built around a package of a couple picks and uh, get ready for this, probably Kevin Knox. So it would be it would be a commitment for the Knicks, um, even with the risks involved with both of those guys. For Paul, it's the age and the injuries. For Oladipo, uh, it's the injuries and then being a free agent in the year. To me, for the Knicks, this it would be a very Knicks move. But in this specific instance, I, I do think it would be worth exploring. Hi. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Listen, if I ever, if I ever lose my job at Rotowire, I'm going to get a job at a, a Knicks blog or Knicks, you know, uh, like a New York post or something where anytime a player is remotely available or probably not even really available, I'm just going to write Knicks have interest in such player and then crank <laughs> out like 800 words. Knicks interested in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Knicks yeah. interested in Kemba Walker. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, it would be great for the Knicks. I think either one, although the Chris Paul thing could get sad pretty quickly, honestly. There's a high Uh, sad potential there. It's like 50. Extreme Baron Davis on the Cavs energy possibility there. Yeah. And it's just like he, how much is he going to try? Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. They would need to, they would need to like bring someone with him. Right. Well, oh, actually, I should mention this. The New York Post article mentioned that if they traded for Chris Paul, then it, it literally said Mello would likely join him as if that's like a proven fact. Like Mello has openly said he wants to return to Portland. Although I will say if if they did trade for Chris Paul and Mello had the choice between signing with the Knicks or a better team in Portland for the same money, he would absolutely choose the Knicks. Right. Yeah. I mean, that would be an incredible 35 win team to watch. I don't even know um, if they get that high. Get to Wayne Wade back. Oh man. Um, <laughs> we'll bring Miritich back from yeah. Spain. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, anytime the Knicks, I mean, they click, the click, the, the Knicks clearly have no competence, you know, in terms of like front office stuff. Thibodeau's the coach. I, I forget that yeah. sometimes. Um, so just like doing anything that's remotely gimmicky, if it's just like, hey, we're the old guy team. It's 2010. Tom Thibodeau's our coach. Yeah. We have Mello and Chris Paul. Like, wh- I mean, why not, right? Like, it's better than, you know, it's better than the alternatives that we've been given for the past 20 years in, in New York. Right. The entire Knicks beat today, I don't, know if, I don't know if you saw this, did fall for a fake Alonzo Trier signing <laughs> in Europe tweet. Like, three, three separate beat writers on the feed tweeted it out. And I, I, I don't know if anybody actually wrote a story about it, but it turned out that was false. Uh, it's, it's just been a tough summer for the Knicks. But yeah, the Chris Paul thing, I, I'm with you. Like, even if it, like, let's say he has the same season he had this year, which was the best case scenario by by all accounts. You know, he's all NBA season, all star, missed one game. Even if that happens again, who's around him that it's enough to do anything, right? Like, it, any deal that, that would happen for either of those guys would probably involve Randall, Julius Randall, for money reasons. Um, and, you know, ultimately not a winning player, so not a huge loss, but. It's not like the Knicks have all this flexibility to go grab someone else, and and even, there aren't even any other like great free agents out there who would who would want to come join a 36 year old Chris Paul. Uh, you know, you should put more respect on Bogdan Bogdanovich's name. Um, that's 
Dude, if the Knicks can sign Bogdan Bogdanovich, they should absolutely do that. I'd rather see him as the number one option in New York than Chris Paul, I think. Um, yeah, it would just not be good. I mean, Chris Paul can make got, I mean, I'm sure Chris Paul can make Mitchell Robinson really, really good, um, as a, as a lob threat, but everyone else on the team, I don't know if they have the same space, like Chris Paul could not make Kevin Knox better. Like, I know maybe, maybe they have to give up Kevin Knox. I'm not sure. OKC even wants him. Well, you see, well, <laughs> clearly, clearly you did not read the New York post today because, uh, OKC does want Kevin Knox, uh, assuming that it's okay. choosing between Dennis Smith and um, who's the other one? Oh, Nilakina. They they somehow prefer Kevin Knox out of those three. Uh so wow. I mean, that's better. a well, that's a that's according to the Knicks. <laughs> that's according to the Knicks beat. Are we sure that's not like some? Uh, it was reported like some fake. Um, not fake news. That's not the right way to put it, but trying to like incept the idea into the Thunder's head that they want Kevin Knox. That's the guy you want. I did watch part of Inception last weekend. So I'm, I'm kind of with you on this. I, I know I like your thinking and I, I think it's very possible. Uh, they got to do mention, something. You did mention Mitchell Robinson, by the way. Um, we, we have a little bit of time at the end here to, to talk about a few. Uh, I, I put it generally to you, you know, year two, year three, uh, guys who, who could finally make the leap, whether it's fantasy-wise or, or just in terms of general NBA acumen. Mitchell Robinson would have found himself on this list last year. Um, it, we kind of saw the same season from him in a lot of ways, uh, partially inhibited by the fact that nobody wants to play him more than 20 minutes a game. Um, it, but if there's any coach, maybe not even in like the current NBA, but in the history of the NBA, who's going to be willing to extend somebody's minutes it's Tom Thibodeau. Is this finally the year for Mitchell Robinson? God, I hope so. Um, every, I mean, it's just, he, when you watch him out there, it's clear, like, he, he can catch any lob that's thrown at him. He can block any shot remotely close to him. He's a good rebounder. Like, he was, like, you have a guy on your team who was 17th this season in offensive win shares for a team that won 21 games and he played 23 minutes a game. How is that possible? How is that guy not getting more time? He had the, he's the, he had the best true shooting percentage in the league this season. Like, I, I just don't understand. Like it, it feels like dysfunction that Mitchell Robinson isn't getting more than like 20 minutes a game consistently. Maybe there's something else going on again. It's all shrouded behind like this, the mystery that is the Knicks, but it, it, it would really be awesome to see him play more because he is extremely entertaining. There's been no excuses the last couple of years based on where they've been developmentally. And if, if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt going into every year, I think a lot of NBA teams think that they're going to be better than they actually are. Um, there's some delusions there, but it's been pretty clear for the Knicks, like 10 games in to the last couple of years, like it's, it, this is not going to go well. And at that point, you're not under any obligation to play Taj Gibson 39 minutes uh, on a random Tuesday in January. You know, you don't have to play Bobby Portis all that much. You know, Mo Harkless, he can take some nights off in the name of development. Teams do it all the time. And, you know, I, some of these guys maybe just aren't that good. Uh, like Kevin Knox, I just don't think he's that good. Frank Nilakina, never been a huge believer. But what's really frustrating is we, we still don't really know with half of these guys because <laughs> yeah. they've just never even been thrown out there to, to prove one way or the other. 
No, it's like, what do you are, like? Are you concerned Mr. Robinson's gonna get in foul trouble for your twenty win team? Like his his career net rating, or his I mean, for his career, he has a one forty two offensive rating and a one oh seven defensive rating. That is insane. And he just doesn't. They're like, meh, twenty minutes. Yeah, maybe not. Eh. Fluke, yeah. fluke career so far. Fluke. <laughs> these, you know, these twenty seven hundred minutes. Probably not real. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, that's been frustrating to say the least. Yeah. All right, so we got a couple more minutes. Let's finish out Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter Jr. Two guys who are kind of in the same boat in terms of injuries. Um, you know, stunting their their first two years in the league. I feel like we haven't seen Marvin Bagley play in like five years. I, I feel the same yeah. way about Wendell Carter, who was kind of been stuck on this this just weird Bulls team that now seems to be moving in the right direction uh, under Karnasovas and uh, with Billy Donovan now installed as the head coach. But I mean, these are two guys who you know Wendell Carter I think has played like 70 games over his first two years, and and Bagley's played even fewer than that. I, I think a lot of people still give both of them the benefit of the doubt, but. Um, you know, at, at this point, it's just really hard to evaluate, uh, given the injuries, especially with Bagley, who we only saw play 13 games this past year. Yeah, it's a, it's, they have kind of inverse situations as well, because Bagley is like the way more talented offensive player who should put up bigger numbers, but their team is, I mean, at this point, they might be the more dysfunctional team. Cause I don't, I haven't heard a single good thing about Luke Walton. Buddy Hield, I saw a report that is reportedly not talking to Luke Walton, yeah, um, they're, so they're it's like, the most dysfunctional franchise in the league. Uh, apologies to the Knicks. Yeah, and, and and you know on the other hand, it seems like the Bulls are finally starting to trend up. They got a coach that seemingly they should like and they should mesh with. But there is just a there's just a chance that Wendell Carter, like the player that he is, is ten points, ten rebounds, three assists, one and a half blocks. Like that just might be it. And that's not a bad player, obviously. Um, but it just may not be, just may not be that exciting. We'll see what Chicago does in the draft. I mean, nobody's talking about the draft at all, but they have the fourth pick and you know, that, that could <laughs> yeah, be, yeah. seriously, that could be Wiseman territory. I don't know. I mean, they, it, there's, they're one of those teams that that's kind of set weirdly at each position. Like you, you like their starter. So that, I don't, I don't think they have like a glaring need. It, it wouldn't be crazy uh, if they, if they doubled down and took a big guy, but we'll see. All right, man, we're out of time for this week. Uh, you've been listening to the Rotowire NBA show on Dash Radio's NBA channel. Again, you can go to rotowire.com slash dash to get a free 10 days of access to our site. We'll be back same time next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.